I send my greetings to the City Church family and to all of the guests who are watching us both locally here in San Antonio and around the world. Now, you know, I say, I say what I'm getting ready to say a lot around City Church, and so if you've been here, you've heard me say this, but I think it's more important now than ever. City Church is a people, not a place. We're a body, not a building. We're a movement, not a meeting. And during times like these in particular, it's important for us to rise up and be the movement that Jesus began. We don't have to meet here physically on this property to be the church. We are the church. And I am calling for all of the followers of Jesus to rise up and be the church in our communities. You know, this ongoing coronavirus pandemic has become one of the greatest trials that many of us have ever faced. And it's reshaping our lives in different ways. It's, it's reshaping our routines, our relationships, you know, our work life, our home life, our school life. And if we could be honest, as we're going through this trial, you can begin to feel pressure, the pressure that comes with trials. How are you handling the pressure? And maybe it's not only the pressure of this trial, maybe it's the pressure of other trials too, maybe trials in your marriage, trials in your family, trials in your finances, maybe even trials at work and in your work relationships. How are you handling the pressure? You know, geologists tell us that significant pressure can actually turn something good into something better. In other words, there can be a positive impact because of pressure. In fact, pressure is what creates very good things like coal and oil and even precious gems like diamonds. And what if God, what if God uses a similar kind of process to transform our lives? What if God uses the pressure of trials to transform us, to take something that's good and to make it even better? It's all in how we handle the trials. Now, this week I want to continue our study of a letter written by Jesus' half-brother, James. James became a key leader in the early church, and he wrote to many followers of Jesus who themselves were feeling the pressure of their trials. And James wrote to them, encouraging them not to shrink back in their trials, but instead to rise up, to rise up and persevere through their trials. You see, God has a purpose for trials in life. God's purpose is to help us grow and mature and develop a tough faith. Because when you have a tough faith, you can get through tough times. And if you remember last week, we said that the way out of whatever trial you are facing is to persevere through your trial. The way out is through. Can you say that with me? The way out is through. And when you rise up and persevere through a trial, it actually does something good in you and something good through you. And so I want us to get back to the letter of James and I want us to pick up where we left off, off last week, looking at the blessing that comes when we persevere under trials. Uh, this is James chapter one, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, 
that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord promised those who love him. Okay, I want us to notice several key phrases in this part of the letter that I think are significant for us. First, James says that the Lord blesses those who persevere under trials. And he uses that word under. So you get almost like a picture of being under the pressure of a trial. And part of what helps us get through what we're going through when we're in a trial is knowing that on the other side, the Lord is going to bless us. And that's significant. I also want us to notice that James says that rising up and persevering through trials, standing up to the test, is one of the ways that we can show the Lord our love for him. Isn't that cool? By, by rising up and persevering through trials, we're telling the Lord, I love you. I'm doing this for you. And then the Lord loves us back by blessing us in our trials and through our trials. But there's one more word I want us to, to camp on for just a moment and like dig deeper because I think it's so significant. It's the word translated test in this, in this verse. And it's the Greek word dokimos. Can you say that with me? Dokimos. And dokimos literally means to test something while watching it. Because when you test something while watching it, you can see what's actually in it. And so I'm remembering back when I was in middle school at Patton F. Middle School, just down the road. And I was in an eighth grade geology class. And in the class, we were going to test, we were going to dokimas, if you will, some rocks. And we were going to test to see if there was limestone in them. And the way we were going to do that was by dropping little drops of acid on them. Now, can we just pause for a moment? And can I say, can you believe teachers gave eighth grade boys little vials with acid in it? I mean, talk about making school fun. Let's just say that a lot of things got disintegrated that day that weren't rocks. And so I, I'd like to just give a shout out to all the teachers out there. Bless you. Thank you for putting up with students like me. Okay, okay, now back to the testing. So we were testing rocks. We were trying to see if limestone was in it. And what we would do is we would uh, drop some of the acid onto the rock. And if limestone was in it, it would bubble up. We would dokimas the rocks. We would test them while watching them to see what's in them. Okay, so why is that so important? Like, how does God dokimas us? How does God test us? So I want us to go back to the letter and read the verses around verse 12 that we just read. This is James 1, 12 through 14. James writes, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, okay, now he's transitioning to temptation. And we're gonna see how temptation, trials, and testing, it all goes together. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Say, okay, so God tests us, he dokimases us, he tests us through trials and temptations. The pressure of trials test us and they tempt us. Now, James is trying to clarify, God doesn't tempt us because a temptation by nature is to entice us towards sin, which is something God doesn't want to do. God doesn't tempt us, he tests us. However, our evil desires in Satan tempt us, tempt us to respond in an evil way, in a wrong way when under the pressure of trial. And so 
when we respond in a wrong way, we can actually end up wrecking our lives because of the trial and how we respond to it. Okay, so what is James telling us about the relationship between uh, trials, tests, and temptations? Like, how do you know, is God testing me or is Satan tempting me? How do you know which is which? Well, James tells us that tests and temptations are the same events from different perspectives. I want to say that again. Tests and temptations describe the same events from different perspectives, okay? So like there's an event going on, then there's God's perspective. God is testing us through whatever trial we're facing, and his hope is that we would pass the test. His hope is that we will persevere through it. And his hope is that under the pressure of the trial, we would see if there are any evil desires in us, so we would seek to resist them and overcome them. That's God's perspective. Then there's Satan's perspective and the perspective of the evil desires within us. Satan's desire is that we would fail the test. Satan's desire is to discourage us, to make us feel like failures. So God tests us to hopefully build our character and to give us a tough faith. Satan tempts us, hoping to wreck our lives. And so let's just make clear uh, what James is saying here because it's so significant. God is not tempting you to have an affair with a coworker you're attracted to because you're having trying times in your marriage. That's the evil desires within you. And God is not tempting you. He's not tempting you to cheat on your taxes because you're having trying times in your finances. That's the evil desires within you. And God is not tempting you to mistreat your ex because your ex mistreated you. That's the evil desires within you. Temptation comes from within. And a part of rising up involves resisting the evil desires within us. And so James tells us God does not tempt us, but he does test us. He's trying to show us what is within us. So why is he doing that? I mean, is it for his sake? No, because God already knows what's in our heart. This testing is not for our sake, uh, his sake. This testing is is for our sake. God tests us to expose any evil desires within us, any hidden flaws, any inner weaknesses that could ultimately wreck our lives. In April of 1912, the great ship Titanic sailed her maiden voyage. And the engineers that uh, designed the Titanic, Titanic, uh, they said that They felt like this ship was indestructible, unsinkable. They designed its ship's uh, steel, the steel of the hull, to bend if it ever hit anything. And they developed many hidden compartments within the hull to contain any breach of the exterior hull. And they said in a worst case scenario, it would take the Titanic three days to sink, giving plenty of time to rescue all of the passengers. But of course, we all know what happened. The Titanic on her maiden voyage struck an iceberg, and it sank in less than three hours. What went wrong? Well, recently, scientists did tests on the hull of the Titanic. They dokimusted. it. And what they discovered is that there were hidden traces of sulfur all through the steel that was used to build the Titanic. And the presence of that sulfur made the steel used to... Uh, designed the Titanic, made it brittle instead of bendable and pliable. 
So when the Titanic hit that iceberg, instead of bending like the engineer's design, the steel actually shattered like broken glass, as did each of the compartments designed to slow down a sinking ship. But if someone could have just dokimust that hull, if somebody could have tested it and discovered the inner weakness, the hidden flaw, that horrible experience might not have turned so bad. God tests us, and that's why. Because the greatest hindrance to your spiritual journey, the greatest hindrance to my spiritual journey, are not the trials we face in life. The greatest hindrances to our spiritual journeys and our spiritual health, it's those hidden flaws. It's those inner evil desires. It's, it's what I call the inner core issues. It's the core issues that can shipwreck our lives. It's the resentment that can sour our souls. It's the arrogance that can make us self-absorbed. It's the greed that can cause us to compromise our values. It's the lust that can ruin our relationships. It's the fear and anxiety that can paralyze us in dysfunction. And it's the anger that can spew poison on those around us. It's the core issues that can shipwreck our lives. Now, I've been honest with you guys over the years about my own struggles with anger. Uh, one evening, uh, a bratty boy's behavior brought out the worst in me. I won't go into all of the details. I've told my story before, but I can say that I found myself screaming at this little boy, bringing him to tears. And what I saw come out of my mouth and out of my heart that day, I can only describe as evil. My core issues threaten to shipwreck my life. And everybody has core issues and evil desires that can make, uh, make our lives turn out in tragic ways. And if you don't admit and address those core issues, they can shipwreck your life. God uses the pressure of trials to expose those core issues within us. And God does that not because he's against us, because I know, let's just be honest, when you're facing the pressure of trial, it can feel like God is against you, right? And that's how you can feel. Like, what's wrong with God? What kind of God would do this, would allow this pressure to come on my life? But God allows this to happen because he's a good God. And he wants to do a good, deep work within us. He wants to give us good gifts in life. Do you believe that? Notice what James says next. This is James 1.16. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. So he's talking to believers. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Okay, did you notice what James said? He said, don't be deceived, because... We can feel like God is against us and then he's giving us bad things when we go through trials, right? He says, don't be deceived by the, the pain that you're experiencing because God ultimately is a good God and he wants to give you good and he even describes them as perfect gifts. And so James is saying something significant here about the nature of God, about the character of God, because this is a part of what will help us get through our trials. It's understanding that God is a good God. He's doing a good work in us, even through trials. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's a good God? 
I think that question is important to answer, especially in trials, because some of us, if we could be honest, we were raised to believe that God is the kind of God who's out to get us, right? That God is the kind of God looking to smack us when we get out of line. That God's the kind of God looking to cut us off when we go our own way. But here, James is telling us, that's not what God is like. God is a good God. God loves us. God is for us. He wants us to win. He wants us to overcome. He wants us to thrive in life. And I think James' words here remind me of a story that Jesus told uh, when he was still on the earth to correct a flawed view, a distorted view of who God is. It's often called the prodigal, uh, parable of the prodigal son. And the story is about a young son who gathers his belongings and goes his own way. He leaves his father's house. He wants to be out from under his father's authority and go his own way. And the, the father in the parable is clearly intended to represent God, our father. And the son really represents any one of us who could decide to go our own way. Well, over time, the son experiences the pain of a shipwrecked life. And he eventually comes to his senses and realizes the life that he thought was gonna be so great, it wasn't great. And he wants to return to his father's home. But how would his father respond? I mean, that's the whole point of the story. How will the father respond? Will the father smack him when he comes home? Will the father cut him off because he went his own way? No, the father opens his arms and welcomes his son home and throws him a big party. And here's the point of Jesus' story. That's what God, our Father, is like. God is for us. God loves us. And even, even if we go our own way, even if we're dragged away by some evil desire, even if we give in to sin and temptation, when we come to our senses, if we want to come home, he's waiting for us. He's waiting for you. He's a good God, and he wants to give you good gifts. And with that kind of understanding of God in mind, James then reminds his readers of the greatest gift God has ever given us. This is verse 18. James writes, he chose to give us birth, talking about God our Father. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, talking about the word of truth about Jesus, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The greatest gift God has ever given us is the gift of his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. You see, God's a good, good father. And by giving us his son, when we respond to the truth about Jesus, the truth about who he is, that he's God's son, the truth that Jesus, because he's God's son, has the authority to forgive our sins because he can give us eternal life. That truth, when you believe those truths about Jesus, according to Jesus, you experience something that Jesus calls a spiritual birth. And that's the birth that James is talking about here. And if you've never experienced the, the beauty of a spiritual birth by believing in Jesus, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. But I want to go back to one more phrase in that verse. He, he calls it a kind of first fruits of all he created. What's this first fruit stuff all about? 
Well, if you know anything about agriculture, the first fruits are the sweetest fruits. The first fruits are the most juicy. The first fruits are the best fruits. And here's what James is saying to us. God can see that in us. He can see that kind of quality, a first fruit kind of quality within us. And the reason he lets us go through tests, tests that bring the pressure of trials, is he's trying to transform us into the first fruit kind of people he can already see in us. You see, he can see us becoming better and better in our character and in developing a tough faith. And so I want to say to you, if you're going through a trial now and you're feeling the weight of the pressure, it's okay. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this together and allow the pressure of this trial to expose any hidden weaknesses within you, any evil desires that might shock you like my anger did me. And then be willing to admit them, be willing to admit your core issues and to desire to get free from them. In fact, I th one of our, our main strategies here at City Church is to help people find freedom. And you find freedom together. You find freedom from those hidden, uh, those hidden flaws within you, those core issues. You find freedom together. You, you're not going to find freedom alone. You find it by courageously connecting with other people in what we call little circle groups. And that's how you find freedom together. And we have a program specifically designed to help you identify and to get free from your core issues. It's called Peel the Onion or PTO for short. And this program has helped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people identify potentially uh, hurtful core issues and to get free from them so they can thrive in life. I went through a similar process in a similar program myself numerous times. And this program helped me get at the root issues behind my anger and get free from it. And it's also helped me along the way to, uh, to find freedom from struggles with lust, just being honest with you, struggles with uh, pride, various kinds of pride. And then more recently, uh, to get, get free from some anxiety that I had been feeling. And all along the way, through the pressure, through the trial, through the, you know, the introspection and the program, I can honestly say, I think I've become a better person. And so will you. And so once we get beyond this shelter in place order, we're going to start our PTO program back up. And if you know that's the right next step for you in your spiritual journey, I encourage you to sign up for it. We're going to limit the groups to groups of 10 because that's a part of the uh, practicing social distancing. And so we're going to have groups of 10 and continue practicing social distancing. But we are going to find freedom together. And you can find out more about PTO and other circles here at City Church by using our app. And uh, we'll respond to any questions you have as well. But you know, I suspect some of you might say, you know, Pastor, if I could be honest with you, I failed the test. I gave in to an evil desire. I gave in to temptation and it's dragged me away. Well, I want to say to you, don't be discouraged. Don't give up hope. There is grace for you. You know, I think one of the reasons that Jesus taught his followers, you know, in the model prayer, Father, forgive us our trespasses, is because he knew there would be times in our relationship with God that we would have to ask for forgiveness. 
And so God, our father is standing with his arms wide open. If you've gone your own way, please return home. Confess your sins, admit what you have done and ask him to forgive you of your sins. And he will forgive you. He will cleanse you and he will welcome you home. And I want you to know that City Church is the kind of community where we understand life can be messy. And that's why we like to say around here that City Church is a messy church. City Church isn't a neat church for neat people to keep their neat lives neat. City Church is a messy church where people with messy lives can experience the messy grace we all hunger for. And I hope you will experience God's grace today. Let's pray together. First, I want to pray for those of you who are going through a trial right now of some kind. Lord, I pray for those who are going through trials. I pray that you would give us courage and faith to persevere through our trials. Help us to rise up. Help us to resist temptation. Help us to notice any core issues that surface. And then give it, help us to have like just the humility and the hunger to find freedom from those core issues. And then I pray for those of you who would say, Pastor, I've given in to temptation. I have sinned. If you will confess your sins, the scriptures say that God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So just confess your sin even now. Say, Father, I have sinned. Say what the sin is. And then say, Father, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to welcome me home. Yes, and then now I want to pray with those of you who would say, you know, pastor, I've never believed in Jesus before. I've never received the greatest gift. Uh, maybe you would pray this prayer with me. I'll lead you through it. God, I believe in you. And I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross to pay for my sins. And so I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to give me eternal life and to make me your child. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, I, I pray for those who just prayed that prayer with me, that you would seal within their hearts and minds that their sins are forgiven, that they are your children, and that you're a loving father who welcomes them home too. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. God bless you guys, and I look forward to seeing you again next week online.